the the universe's boomerang and whatever we throw out is going to come back and if you're sitting there worried about everything then everything's going to become a reality like like it's just a fact you know my, i love my parents but they're they're the tag team champions of bad news and negativity they cannot wait to get into the ring and unload bad news on you they just that they, they live for it Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mental Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos. Today, this is a really fun show. I mean, real fun. And I know I tell you that they're all exciting, and guess what? They are all exciting. This one's, uh, this one's, this one's really fun and exciting, and honestly, it's got a ton of stuff that I did not expect it to have. So my guest today is Shuli Egar. And for those of you that know that name or that rings a bell, Shuli was on the Howard Stern Show for 15 years. I am a, I am a super fan of the Howard Stern show. And that is not why I brought Shuli on. That's not why I had him here. Um, I had Shuli here because I wanted to understand who he was, how he built, who he became, how he got on the Howard Stern show. And really what I was wondering, like since he left the show in 2020, why did he leave the show? What was his motivation? How did he leave it? Was he pressured? Was he this? I wanted to find that out. Well, guess what? On this episode, we find out a lot more than just that. And we're actually going to be doing another episode with Shuli as well to dig into some of the Howard stuff and to dig into to the move and his comedy career blowing up and like get really deep. So before we start, let's get some of the biz out of the way. You know what I'm going to tell you. If you haven't joined the Men on Purpose community yet, you need to get in there. There's free resources, free coaching, free exercises, a shit ton of other people that are just like you. They're enjoying life. They're trying to elevate. They're trying to uh, evolve themselves to be the best, most authentic version of them so they don't live with any regrets. Just join it. It's free. The podcast is your other free resource. There's freaking gold here. So every time you listen to the podcast, my, uh, my ask is that you take notes or you just write down one thing that you love from something the guest said or something that I said. And that's it. And then compile those and see what you learned over a month or a couple month period. And uh, we've got all kinds of amazing stuff coming up. Uh, amazing stuff coming up. Just you, you want to, any, anything you need, go to mentalpurposepodcast.com. You can find out everything about our podcast guests. Go to ianlobos.com. My name, you can go and find out everything about me, our coaching business, the Mental Purpose Coaching, our mastermind, which our mastermind kicks off every three weeks. It's a paid deep dive, 100-day group where we're taking you through our exercises personally. We're coaching you on, like as a group every week, twice a week. It's freaking awesome. So here's what Shuli and I are going to talk about today. And then you can make your decision as to whether you want to stay. I would if I were you. It was fucking impressive. I got two pages of notes. You don't believe me? Here you go. Two pages of notes. It was really awesome. And, and what an incredible guy. So you saw the name of this episode is Your Ego is Not Your Amigo. Shuli came up with that. Somebody else actually really came up with that. It was, I think it was Kanye West. doesn't matter. We'll say Shuli came up with it. And I named it that because we talk a lot about your ego and getting the fuck out of your way. Simple put, right? Getting the fuck out of your way. How to, when to, why to, where do I go to help get help? Literally, that's what we're talking about on this episode. And we do that through Shuli's uh, early days in Israel to his move to LA with his parents to the move to Vegas and like how he has developed not only his career, how he's developed himself. And I'm telling you right now, he drops some 
gold in this episode about manifestation, about thinking and being positive, the universe being a boomerang, um, reality is in the realness, and taking pressure off of your clients, right? He learned in comedy, we're putting too much pressure on my client. So for any of you in business, like you're going to learn a lot about business stuff by listening to how Shuli honed his comedy skills and his talent to, to take the pressure off the audience. And um, we talked about don't, not, not letting worry be your reality. We, we talked about the hope principle, which is hope is for suckers and belief is for winners. Um, how he doesn't get dragged down by low energy, low level people, the power of gratitude, the power of manifestation, letting go of the outcome, literally. And we also talked about what he does at night, his morning and evening routine from Mel Robbins' book, The Five Second Rule. All that shit and more. And this is a long episode. And yeah, we're going to keep going. We're going to do another episode with Shuli to talk about the Howard years and to talk about him leaving. And um, what an incredible guy. I was a fan of Shuli's before. Now talking to him and getting to know him for an hour and a half, um, I'm a real fan of the man, of the human. He's a really great guy. And, uh, and I really appreciated this episode and I appreciated him being on. You're going to love it. So here we go. This is Shuli Egar. Enjoy. All right, Shuli. It's a pleasure and an honor, man. I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. Not fanboyed out and weird. I just really appreciate your hustle, your struggle, your adaptability, your growth. And today, like the reason why I've been chasing you down for a year is because I really want to celebrate the husband and father and guy you are for your family. And I want people to hear that for those of you that know that for those people that are listening that know your name, like you came from the biggest, baddest radio show that there ever will be and has been. And I was not one of those fans when you left. I wasn't one of those fans who were like, oh, fuck, surely he can't hang. I was the guy that went, I really, I'm really curious as to why he did that. And I, and I said to my wife, we were in the car, and I'm like, oh, my God, Shuli left. And she was like, where do you, well, where'd he go? And I was like, he went to Alabama. And this is like, it's like you're a part of my family. You know what I mean? Like you know, all the people on the show. Yeah. And she goes, why do you think he did that? And I said, because I think he was being tortured. And I think he needed to, I think he needed to just get out and be there for his family and be present and kind of like live his own life. So we're going to get into that today. I'll, I really want, for the audience that doesn't know you, um, I want to get into your background and how you have evolved into the guy you are today. Yeah, Matt. Well, first of, of all, thanks for having me, and, and thanks for your patience. We we tried this uh, a while back, and and things went a little haywire on my of end. Course. So I appreciate you hanging, and uh, and and allowing me to uh, be a guest on your show. Thank you for the kind words. About time. <laughs> Somebody appreciated me as a husband. No, I don't know the father. inner circle. I know the outer Sorry. circle. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but, but, I mean, listen. So my story begins in Israel. Uh, my parents, we, they had three boys. I was the youngest of three. I was named after my uncle, my dad's brother, who was killed mm -hmm. in the Six-Day War, uh, Shaul. And after... I was born, my mom decided that her boys were not going to go into the military, that this, she had a hunch, this craziness over there wouldn't die down anytime soon, and she's like, I don't want to risk 
or sacrifice my family for this yeah. bullshit. And they packed up three boys. They had 20, 30 grand to their name. And they moved, they flew us all. We all went to L.A. where they knew, I think, two or three people. They barely knew the language. They had nothing lined up. They, they just, and they left, you know, friends, family, calling them deserters, really? traitors. Uh, how, come, how come my kids are good enough to go to the military, but yours aren't? And my mom was just like, hey, it's not something they're going to do. It's just, it's not something I want my kids to do. And we're in a position where we can give them an opportunity for something else. And they did it. And yeah, they did that for us. And um, and also when we got here, it wasn't like, oh, we're here now, so uh, everybody make sure that you still eat kosher, and everybody makes sure. like once we got to the states, they were like, we're here now. My dad's like, you That's want a cheeseburger? I'll make you a cheeseburger on the grill. You want? Yeah, like and and my parents kept kosher. They weren't super religious. They gave us they gave us the option, but they also assimilated to where we were at. It wasn't about what we. Are bringing to the table from where we're coming from it's about where we're at now and how do we make this work and shit man we lived in in the san fernando valley my dad owned uh he owned uh, a couple car washes out in anaheim which is about say, a long. two hour drive yeah and uh and i watched this man go to work seven days a week and bust his ass yeah for us right and and so you fast forward to you know years later i'm out of high school i'm i'm living with some friends in arizona my parents had just moved to vegas i wanted to avoid vegas i i grew up in vegas because my mom loved gambling and i used to roll with her since the age of seven to vegas and she would gamble and i'd play video games at circus circus and uh, and and we were a duo, man. We were seven years old. She'd hand me a hundred bucks. I'd go downstairs. I'd grab a cab. I'd have the cab take me to Circus Circus. I'd go play video games. I'd make sure I left with enough money for a cab ride back. Plus tip. Yeah. You want to talk about a class act <laughs> as a seven-year-old tipping. And uh, and would come back to the hotel nice. when the money was done, and 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 we did that every other weekend, you know, because obviously my mom at the time was an addicted gambler. Yeah. We didn't see the signs, but you know, I I was addicted to video games, so I, <laughs> I was her road dog, together. you know. Yeah, and that's when I said, you know, I want to try stand up. When I was living out there, I I tried everything else. My my last job, I was a wheelchair at the pusher. Airport. Uh, at the air yeah. at the airport in Vegas, which sounds like a great thing to throw in your transcripts <laughs> if you're going to college. Um, but the reality of it is, it's it's a it's a terrible job because uh, the handicapped people you help you can count on one hand, the fat people you push yeah. that don't want to walk uh, that's all, <laughs> that's all your clientele. And if they paid by the pound, that'd be great. But they don't. They 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 throw you fifty cents for right. being a human engine to four hundred pounds on up a carpet. hill. So, uh, I, yeah, and and a lot of those jobs were about like, it was just taking something that wasn't gonna take anything from me. I could I yeah. could do the job with my eyes closed, right, and still kind of search 
what I'm meant to do, what what I what I feel that I should be doing, and it was always comedy, comedy stand. I mean, comedy in general. I've always been a fan of it growing up. Uh, my parents are two of the funniest people I've ever met, and they're the last to know it. You know, comedies is is always been yeah. what I've gravitated to. So. How did you? How did you, uh, like there, the first time you yeah, went up on stage, I'm always curious, if, and I always want to ask comedians this, like when you bomb horribly, you know you've got to fail through so much shit to, to grow. And when you get up there and you, and you right, bomb, to succeed, yeah. what is that, like how do, you, how do you then get up again? Because that is maybe one of the most uncomfortable things to do besides being nude in public. Like that's a, you are raw up there. Everybody's watching you, judging you, you know that. How do you get back up there when you failed miserably? It's, it's, well, I can tell you the first time I ever did stand up was one of the worst experiences of my life. Uh, One of the scariest. It went horribly, horribly bad. I remember trying to uh, turn on the red light with my mind like a Jedi because I wanted to get off the stage so bad. And it it just seemed like it took forever for that light to come on. And, um, and I left the club and I was like, well, that was the most terrible thing I've ever been through. And after about 10 minutes, I'm like, shit, I bet if I changed this word or I moved this to here, maybe that would get a laugh. And then, and instead of like running away from it, <laughs> uh, there's, and I think that's where you discover if, if you can do this or not is those bombs will weed out anyone yeah. who's a poser that feeling that feeling of of being alone up there and look it's not like your first time going on stage you're right. in front of 10,000 people or 1,000 people it's worse you're yeah. in front of seven people right? right five of them are comics so it's like the, the I had a comic telling me once you want comics in the back of the room to laugh at you while you're on stage <laughs> light yourself on fire they're not the they're not exactly. the most supportive yeah. bunch right so so it's terrible, and and it doesn't just end after your first night. Like, this is, there's no other job that you have to learn on the spot in front of people. I mean, how else there's are you no supposed to skill. do it? If you want to learn, yeah, like, if you want to learn piano, you go, okay, go up on stage right, for five right. minutes and do your best right. in front of these people. And you're like, well, how the hell am I supposed to learn like that? Try That's the fire. only way we can learn. There's no one to blame but ourselves. Um, but at the same time, we're all, you know, all of us that do it, we're all yeah. starving for attention. We, we got up there for a reason because deep down inside, we have no problem with everyone in the room looking at us and listening to us. But it's still a craft. It's still an art form that you have to figure out. The way you write year one is nothing compared to the right. way you write year two or year three or year four. And it's one of the few businesses that you do this 30, 40 years and you still learn something doing it. And those bad shows are usually the ones you learn. The so most if there's, from. if there's a, the good when ones. you have a bad show, cause that shit doesn't end from your, you know, in your first year, when you have a bad set, bad shows, this energy's off. Is that what separates the greats from the averages? Like, I always wonder, I'm like, wow, that, that comedian's pretty good. He's pretty fucking funny. Why isn't he more popular? Is it, is it, is it a guy that just mm-hmm. refuses? It's kind of like 
most people in life, they refuse to work on their craft. I mean, there's, there's, there's the type of comics that, you know, use the same 20, 30, 45 minutes. Right. They don't write anything new. They're, they're old school, you know. That, that's how comedy was way back in the day. Then there's the guys that are just machines that just write and write and write and and they have new hours every three months or six months and and um, but the guys the guys who don't write eventually right. don't do this uh, you know that that's it there's just there's no especially New York you know New York is is a place a comedy mecca which will only respect you if you do the work. It's not about what what you look like, what show you're on, what you drive, what iPhone you got. This is about funny. Are you funny and are you writing? Because if you're funny the first time and we see you three other times and you're doing the same shit over and over and over again, they, they, they hit the chess clock on you. You're out. Done. So it's... Uh, you're, and, and the bombing, you know... I bombed for like a year straight. Uh, in Vegas, to the point where because I was what playing casino back crowds. there, though. I wasn't playing what, like you know that there. that that night, and you're leaving your house, you you just had a bad day, and you're like, "Fuck my life, man! I cannot get back on that stage and get booed again." Like, how do you keep going through that? Because it, it, in my mind, I'm like, if I can get good enough to do this for a living, how cool Agreed. would this job be Agreed. to have for a living? Right, like. I get to work with my friends. I get to put smiles on people's faces and make them laugh. You know, I was a blackjack and a roulette dealer for a while, too. And you talk about the opposite of putting <laughs> smiles on people's faces. You know, you break down a seven-card 21 on a guy, and you watch right. his whole life crumble. And it's yeah. like, and I hated that. I hated that feeling. I hated being that guy that was like, sorry, you know, and take your money. And it's like, so, you know, the the... The thing that say like I would have a rule I bombed so much that I would get into my shit. I'd get into my head for ten minutes. I gave myself ten minute window after a bomb. You say the worst stuff you want about yourself. You suck, don't ever do this again. But after ten minutes, let it go. Let it all go and let's focus on tomorrow. Because while Vegas wasn't a place for a, a comedy scene because you have so many options in Vegas to do so many other things, a comedy scene's not going to survive in Vegas. When people can go to a hotel and see someone that's been right. on Comedy Central or something. And the hotels have no interest in yeah. developing local talent. So you're kind of stuck there. And then, and you know, I ran four or five open mics in Vegas with my buddies, and all of these were free shows at bars where literally you, you have to, you have to come up with material good enough to get someone to stop looking and playing on a poker machine and <laughs> yeah. pay attention well, to you. Not easy. And you no. just, you don't have it. Nobody has, nobody has material to compete with gambling <laughs> yeah, addiction. Totally. You understand? No, a, a guy who just lost his mortgage payment doesn't want to hear about right. the new gym right. I joined. You understand? <laughs> They're like, shut the fuck up. My life is crumbling. And you're sitting here talking about peanuts on the airplane, yeah. you yeah. hack. So, so it was like the worst place and to the learn best how at to the same do time, comedy. right? But my yeah. and and that's exactly what I was gonna say. If you could get nine people that are sitting there uncomfortable 
in a room that holds 80 to 100 to laugh together yeah. in unison. And I got news for you. A hundred people in that yeah. room is a cakewalk. People that paid, that are invested yeah. to laugh, that that is a big difference because Vegas is all about comps. And I could walk out on stage and I know exactly who was comp. Mm-hmm. It's this fucking guy. This pose. Arms folded. Yeah. Dance for me. Right? Now it's your time to go. Why? Because you ordered a steak and lobster at the coffee right. shop for $9? Now I'm your <laughs> monkey? Now I got to... So... It was this constant battle of like, I want to get good enough to to ha- make these people laugh, but then the other side of me was like, right. well, fuck these people, <laughs> they don't care about you, they're not here to see you, they're just here because somebody told them right. they could go here for free. So, so I would give myself this ten minute rule, and then a buddy of mine said to me, "You ever hear this album called The Day the Laughter Died?" I said, "No, what is it?" He goes, "It's an album Andrew yep. Dice Clay did." Now, this is after Dice was the first mega rock star comic. Dice made it, sold out Madison Square Garden, back-to-back nights, was the first comedian to ever do it, was in the Guinness Book of World's Record for it, right? He does this album. Listen to this concept. He goes to Dangerfields in New York at like 1 a.m. on a Monday or a Tuesday, unannounced, unpromoted, with Rick Rubin, producer extraordinaire, and they proceed to record an hour and a half of Dice bombing in front of people that had no idea Dice was there. He's trying out new material. He's trying out shit that isn't even material. He's he's what we call yeah. leaning into it. He's, he's, it, I've never heard anything like it. There was no fear. There was no hesitation. And he made it funny. He made it fun. And that, to me, changed everything. Was I was like, oh, I'm afraid of this thing. But, like, I, I remember the, the, the next day, the next time I did a show, I come out on stage. And I would always come out, and I'd be like, Seven people, 12 people, 14 people. 20 was like sold out in my mind. It was like crazy if I saw 20 people there. And I would always come out and never address it. I would just go right into my material. And after hearing that album, I remember coming out on stage the first time and it was six people there. And I'm like, hey, how's everybody doing? I just kind of looked left and looked right and got quiet. And, and already they're chuckling. I haven't even said anything. But I'm acknowledging the fact that this yeah. room is fucking empty. And I look at him and I go, hey, do you guys just want to do this in my car? I go, I, could, I can smoke weed there. Uh, yeah. There's plenty of room. I said, we... <laughs> and, you know, and then I would come up with more stuff based on, you know, like I would tell people, hey, man. I don't care that there's seven people here. You don't need the big crowds. You need the right crowds. And they would all start clapping. I'd go, yeah, that's what I'm going to tell myself crying on the way home. What the fuck (laughs) happened to my career? What am I doing here? And it took all the pressure off of them. They're like, oh, this guy sees what we see. There's nobody here. And he's making that funny. And 
He's not going into. So, how many people work out in the gym? Yeah, well, we'll pretend there's more than four people here. Who works out? It's like uh, that Dice album just showed me the real comedy is yeah. in the realness. Yeah. And so, don't avoid it. Don't be afraid of it. Lean into that shit. Make it your own. And and that changed everything for me. I was never afraid of bombing. After that, I know it's a it's it's something. Yeah, that has you know to that happen. reminds me of something that. Um, Jim Carrey said, which was his everything changed for him the moment that he realized his job wasn't to make people laugh. It was to free people from concern. And so what, what you said was, yeah, was so was so great because uh, there's not a lot of ego in that shit. What you just said, like you, you like the comedy is in the realness of the room. You're not coming out and, and doing a set. I had a guy on this. I've been to this guy's, he's a, he's a investor guy. Um, and, and I've been to his shows and he does this little act about, he does his past and he does this and I lost this much money and all this bullshit. And I said, Hey man, why don't you come on the podcast? Like you got some cool shit going on. He literally came on the podcast and did the exact same set. And I, and I stopped and I'm like, Hey, this isn't going to work. I I need you real here. I need you here. The audience is going to pick up on that shit. So I love what you said about that because I, I mean, a couple things. The realest no. stuff is always the funniest. What, that's stuff. what people love. That's With why the Kardashians up. are so popular. It's not their asses. It's that they're fucking. Right. It, well, right. yeah, it's part of it. Well, it's part. I don't of know it. how I mean, real they honest. actually are, though. Let's not say the Kardashians. Let's just say like reality shows. Like, I don't, I don't know what reality shows are real at this point. Reality shows in general. But but listen, like you know, I smoke weed, right? And I and I talk about weed in my act. But I had to figure out a way. To talk because when I first started talking about weed, it was from a point of like, yeah, I smoke yeah. weed. What's up? What's up? You got a problem with that? Are you the man? You gonna shut me down? And instead, I had to figure out a way to make the story I was telling funny to people who didn't smoke pot. So how do you do that, right? You don't. You you drop the ego. It's not about whether you're for it or against it. What the bit becomes about is the story, the the decision making abilities, the dumbness of being high. Make you the idiot. Don't attack them. Let them all laugh at you. And guess what? People who have been high will relate. People who have never smoked a day in their life can still relate to yeah, you being fair. an idiot because everybody's fair. had idiot moments. So. So that that was a thing that I had to figure out. And again, it's failing is the only way to, to figure it out. I'll never forget, we had like a younger crowd one night at this hotel in Vegas where I worked regularly. And every night it was just old people, old people. And I'm doing bits about sex and drugs, and it's very early yeah. on, so it's all you're dirty sure. and it's all, you know. I mean, it's all you it's all yeah. you got when you're starting out. It's right. just fart and cum jokes. It's every open <laughs> micer. It's their whole set list. And uh, and I see like these guys with long hair waiting in line to go in, like younger dudes. And I'm like, my weed stuff's gonna crush tonight. I can finally do it. And I bombed harder that night in front of those people with that weed shit. It just. You, you got to be you. You got to address what's going on. And you got to make make you the joke. You can't make... You, like you said, ego is... A, it's a killer. You know. the 
It is, man. Yep. Kanye West, the guy is, you know, your ego is yep. not your amigo. The best thing he's ever said. Makes the most sense ever. And and once you drop that, you're untouchable. You really That's are. That's going to be the name of this episode now. Your ego is not your amigo. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> your ego is... <laughs> It's great. It's a great line. You know, I, I remember these lines throughout the years, uh, stuff yeah. my dad's told me that that as I get older, you know, my so you talk about comedy, right? Being real. Like I used to stay up. Carson was like my first thing I was ever addicted to. I I had to stay up to watch Carson. I was so fascinated by his show because even at a young age, before knowing anything about comedy, I knew when those yeah. animals would come out. He was just he was just yeah. riffing off the top of his head with him. When those sketches he was doing started bombing, he started yeah. goofing on the sketch in the yeah. middle of the sketch. That that comedy w without a net is attractive. I love that the organic, spontaneous nature of comedy is is where I would sleep three sixty five seven days a week. I love that shit. And I would I would stay up late, and I and there would be times where I hear my dad coming down the hall, so I would I would just close my eyes and I pretend to be asleep. My dad, you know, my mom and dad met in the Israeli army. He's 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 a tough guy, but he's he's never he's never been an asshole. He's he's great sense of humor. So he'd walk over, he'd see my eyes closed, and he'd stand by my head for like ten fifteen seconds. Not saying a word, but I got my yeah. eyes peaked a little bit. I could see his torso, his stomach, and I'm I'm laying there and I'm thinking, what the fuck is he doing? And then he says to me in Hebrew, not knowing if yeah. I'm asleep or awake, but he has a hunch that I'm awake, and he says to me in Hebrew the following phrase: "You can't scare a hooker with a dick." He says that, yeah. and that's exactly what I would do. I would start laughing. <laughs> Because my right, dad said right. hooker and dick to me while I'm trying to go to sleep. And, and that's how he would bust me, you know? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. A ten, nine, you know, like, yeah. he didn't give a shit. He, he, his, his sayings would catch me so off guard. The other one, my favorite one, we'd be sitting at the dinner table and, I, and I'd finish eating something. And I'd take the napkin, I'd light my face, I'd ball it up. I'd shoot it for the trash can. And on my way up <laughs> to pick it up because I missed... He he would tell me in Hebrew, a lazy man does everything <laughs> twice. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. what an asshole. He's so right. So right. He's so right. Let me get, let me, let me get so deep with you sakes, for a second. Man. I, I, yeah. I was a part of my, my dad's business. His, he, my dad's a shipping company. And I was a part of that after college for like eight years because I thought I just wanted to work in the business. But really, really what I wanted was to prove to my dad that I was worthy and that I could hang with him. Right. Obviously. Sure. So I just, I want to get a little deep for a second because there's people listening to this. They go, I really don't know why I do what I do. And I'm still trying to figure that out. So mm. is the comedy thing really because of your, your dad and the relationship you have with him? Like, did that, is that what attracted you to it? Or are there other reasons? And maybe that's one of them. I think yeah. it's my whole family. I remember being in Israel like three Three years old, um, being with my grandparents, my, my mom's uh, mother and father. And I remember my grandfather driving my grandmother nuts <laughs> at the breakfast table. 
just making sounds. Like I learned how to make those sounds because I watched him. Yeah. Fuck with her. Like she would, she would just walk around and get breakfast ready, and he would just sit there and he'd just go. And she would turn around. She'd go, Vinny, my speak, you know, and she'd scream out. And then he'd look at me and wink, and I would lose my shit. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And between them, my aunts, my parents, when they didn't realize when my parents fought, it was hilarious. It was the funniest thing ever. The shit my mom would say to my dad, and and they would be fine later. But it was like, like I tell it on stage, like there wasn't, you know, People who have parents that just speak English, I feel bad for you because all you get is your dad, you know, your dad being called an asshole, your mom being called a bitch, your woo-boo-boo-boo, big deal. We had, my mom would create scenarios and short stories to insult my dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like she once told him in Hebrew, go to the freezer, grab a popsicle, shove it up your ass, eat it, and then tell me what it tastes like. She once told him that in a fight. I, that has and to I sound hilarious thinking, in Hebrew. Oh, yeah. Lech tavi artik, trof patacha, taim et zeve, tagid li ech ze taim, huh? And I'd be sitting there going, you don't even need the yeah. last three things on this list. Like, you, once an adult's putting a dessert up his so, ass, yeah. that's game. You've, you've won. <laughs> it's a victory. So you learn you know. your structure, man. Like, you, but you like, under, you're understanding structure at that point yeah. of your jokes. Rhythm, yeah. timing, yeah. structure. Absolutely. I mean, isn't this, isn't this game, not just comedy, but really any game, isn't it about owning your shit? I mean, dude, I didn't know that about Dice. I know that album mm. from Dice. I'm a huge Dice fan. I did not know that he played that to like an empty theater, an empty crowd. It wasn't even, an, it just wasn't right. his crowd. They, they were there. They're, they're being barked off the street. You know, people go, hey, you want to yeah. go see, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, you know, they just right. make up comedians' names to get these tickets in these tourists' hands, and they go, "Yeah, you can bring a nine-year-old kid with <laughs> you." Yeah, Dice. absolutely. They don't give a shit, and and so here comes Dice, completely unannounced, and and just goes up there and starts doing such vile stuff that's funny for the wrong reasons. It's not funny because it's polished and and right. and mastered. And, and a great bit that you're sitting there at the end of it going, wow, I never really thought of that. You know, it wasn't it wasn't coming from a right. Bill Hicks point of view. This was just, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of, of some of the like he just has this section called the notes where just periodically he'll go to the audience and go, all right, I'll just read from my notes. And the notes are just right. non sequiturs that make no sense whatsoever. And he goes, uh, you know, he goes, uh, all right, I'll just go to the notes. He goes, uh, I want somebody to do the black man handshake on my prick. And that's it. That's the end of the note. Yeah, and it's like, and people are just like, huh? He goes, all right, you don't like that one? I'll go to the next one. And he's in charge yeah. the whole time. Yeah. He's in control. It was just, it, it was a master class in and how to take something where m normal people would go, I'm never right. doing this again. You know, the first time I ever worked with him, he he essentially made me bomb. How did... Oh, te okay. He tested yeah, yeah, I was going to say. He says, I meet him... So I've been... Plug you know, Dice yeah. is one of my comedy heroes, obviously. And I, I get the call that uh, I'm opening for him in Toronto and Montreal. 
and um, and I start plugging this thing like four months out. Like I'm so excited. He doesn't need my plugs. He's gonna sell out anyways. But I'm just pumped to do this. So we get to Toronto, Massey Hall, sold out, 15, 2,000 people, you know, I don't know how many. Five minutes before the show, they go, Dice wants to see you. So I go back to his dressing room. Now, I know, I know Jim Norton, yeah. I know Jim Florentine, guys who have, who have opened for him. I know he likes to have fun backstage. I know he likes to fuck with people, which, again, is why he's one of my comedy heroes, because I've worked with a ton of big names that are right. fucking miserable back there. They, they don't, at least I know, as, as goofy and as dumb as this guy's being, at least yeah. I know he's still having fun doing this. And that's all, that's all I ever wanted was a job that I could have fun doing. So he comes up to me, you know, I, I go to his dressing room, he goes, uh, how you doing, what's your name? I go, Shuley. He goes, Shushel, listen, what are you going to talk about out there? And I go, uh, I don't know, you know, drugs and, and sex and stuff. And he goes, I got a better idea. I want you to go out there. First thing you're going to do is you're going to go, who here's from Canada? Right? We're in Toronto. We're in fucking Toronto. Everybody is from Canada. Then he goes, then I want you to be like, who loves hockey? Then I want you to go, uh, who's here to see dice? And when they're fucking going nuts, when they're crazy, that's when I want you to talk about the song I'm coming out to. And I go, what are you, his MC? Uh, I'm sorry, what? I'm, I'm hosting. I'm, I'm, I'm hosting, I'm featuring, yeah. and I'm bringing yeah. him up. It's just a two-man show. So I go, I'm sorry, the song? He goes, yeah, the song I'm coming out to. My kids did the song. One's 14, plays drums. The other one's 11, guitar. It's a phenomenal song. Talk about that. And I'm like, for how long? And he goes, I don't know, do like three minutes. So now I've plugged a show in Toronto for four months where I'm now supposed to do three minutes on a yeah, fucking song. So now I'm sitting here and I'm and now now the the math in my head starts happening, right? The 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 comic math, which is this fucking guy wants me to bomb. There's 1,500 people out there. I don't want to bomb in front of 1,500 people. And then the other side of me, yeah. the no ego side, shows up and says, hey, man, check it out. Number one, it's his show, not yours. Number two, the people are here to see him, not you. And number three, most important, you get paid the same whether you bomb or you kill. So... What do you care? This guy wants to have fun. He wants to test you. He wants to see if you're capable of doing this. And that's when, you know, the fire got lit. And I'm like, oh, you want to see I'll a bomb? bomb I'll fucking bomb, dude. And I go out there and I'm like, who here's from Canada? And, of course, everybody's from Canada. And I go, who loves hockey? And everybody's like, yeah, all right, these are pretty fucking basic. And then I go, who's here to see dice? And they're like, yeah, that too. And then I go, well, let me tell you about the song he's coming out to. And that's when I realized, when, the, when that sentence came out of my mouth, I realized I'm explaining a song to people that they the have not heard. And that I, I, and that I you, have not heard. Did you hear heard. the song at least? <laughs> no, no. So, so now I'm just as confused as they are, right. and I'm driving this bit. I'm driving us home in this bit. 
And I'm going, yeah. I go, let me tell you about the song he's coming out to. And just hush. And then, and then I just hear one voice in the balcony go, get the fuck off the stage. Like that. And I look on the on the clock, on the theater, on the floor, the stage of the of the theater. And it's at 42 Ooh, seconds. Total. I'll never forget that. Oh, shit. Total. Since <laughs> I got up there. Because one thing when you're bombing on stage... You start right. going into super Panic fast mode. mode, right? Really early on, you're like, I got 10 minutes of material here. And then you go up and and you've blown through yeah. it all in two minutes. And now you're up there for eight minutes going, so what else, man? <laughs> what else? Uh, where are, you, are you guys from right. here? You know, you're right. just, you're drowning. You're trying to grab any body right. part and pull it down with you. So I start in with, I go, yeah, I had no jokes. I had nothing. I go, the drummer's 14. Like that was a punchline. It went nowhere. It was, it was just horrible, and I and I'm up there dying. And I look at the clock, and it's at like two two minutes and fifty four, you know, second. And I'm going, all right. I said, I'm out of here. I I can finish up, because one thing you don't want to do as a comic, whether you're bombing or killing bail, or anything, yeah. is is bail early. You you do your time. So I said, guys, it's been a pleasure. Enjoy dice. Thank you so much. Have a good night. And I walk off stage, and he's standing on the side of the stage. He's got his glasses off. He's wiping tears out of his eyes. And he puts his glasses on. He looks at me. He goes, you had them. You could have gone longer. They were in the palm of your hand. You had them. That was phenomenal. And I'm like, fuck. My legs are shaking. Everything's shaking. And I go to the back, and I watch him, and he destroys and then we have a, a bite to eat afterwards. And then the next night, we're in Montreal. And I walk up to him and I go, uh, what do you want me to do tonight? And he goes, I don't know, do 25, 30. And I go, about the song? And he's going, no, stupid, do your act. He goes, do your bits tonight. And I go up there. And I'm up there for like 10 minutes. And I look over to my right. And there's Dice, guy in the Guinness Book of World Record. Biggest fucking comic rock star of all time sitting on the side of the stage yep. watching my set. Interested in My you. entire set. Was so complimentary yeah. afterwards. He was telling me what a great writer he thought I was. I worked with him a few more times after that. We still talk. And it was like, and all that was was, and I can't tell you how many comics I've told this story to that are like, I would have told him to go fuck himself. That's what I would have done. You want me to bomb? I would have told him to fuck off. And it's like, that's why well, I was you're just still say, so where you're at. Think about that for for the audience, not the comedy audience. For this audience, like, I mean, what dude, what you're saying is so clear. It, your ego could have could have made a decision for you in that moment, which was I don't want to look bad because if I bomb here, what if nobody else comes to see my shows? What if my career's over? What if this? You could have what if the shit out of that instead of trusting. One of the mm -hmm. one of the comedy legends of all time, which by the way, Dice has an eerie confidence about him when he walks up on stage. And for the audience who doesn't know Dice, like if you lived under a rock, if you or if you were born in the two thousands, you don't know Dice. This guy is talking to Shuli probably with a cigarette in his mouth, leather gloves on, mm -hmm. a denim shirt, yeah, a leather, a leather jacket. jacket, probably yeah. leather pants or or mom jeans in in some capacity. Oh, he likes to wear those. Oh yeah, the parachute, pants. the parachute you remember those pants. Zubaz, you know those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that are like American yeah. flags. Like, 
pure and simple white trash, New York City uh, uh, slash, you know, your neck of the woods now slash Oklahoma white trash. And this is a guy that can walk on stage in front of what? Madison Square Garden, 50,000 people. And have every one yeah. of those people like needing hernia operations the next day because they're laughing so effing hard. And he doesn't give a shit. His, Not only that, his, they... I, dude, I remember my dad bought me that album. When, when was his first one? And, um, yeah, with Ick Hickory Dice Dickory Rules, Dock and all that. Right? And my mom's like, oh my God. Yeah. My dad's listening to it like, what a genius. What a genius. Yeah. By the way, he was... So he was a feature. Yeah. He wasn't even a headliner. When when so his story was Rodney Dangerfield right. put him on one right of right his right comedy specials. Because Rodney used to do the young comedian special, and uh, and Dice was on it and killed so hard and crushed so hard that after that appearance, he was headlining. He didn't have the material for it at the time, but they made him a headliner. He went from playing Pip's right. Comedy Club in Brooklyn in a basement to to headlining all over the country selling yeah. out all over the country and really had to learn yeah in yeah. the moment on the fly yeah become a headliner uh you know luckily this guy has always been a showman he's always you know he grew up in the era of of guys going on talk shows and singing yeah. and, and telling mm-hmm. stories and bringing something to the table and so he I mean, I watch this. I, I sat at the airport with him. The guy is never right. not funny. He's never not. And he, and he's standing there on the side of the stage in Montreal. I'll never forget. He's about to go up and he goes, it's like two minutes before he goes up, a minute. He looks at me and goes, what should I talk about when I go up there? And it's not like he's being a, making a joke or being funny. He's like legit. He's like, I just want to fucking, I just want to riff. Like he he's not a guy that, that wants right. to do the same shit over and over and over again he you know i watched him do 10 minutes on on the microphone that's he walks up there and he goes "Eh, a lot of comics will take the mic out and they'll move the stand some comics lower it some of them raise it and everybody's laughing already yeah it's the cadence it's the rhythm it's the sound and he goes, eh, some comics will go wireless. Some comics will use the cord. He goes, but no comic. No comic gives you the tilt. And then he just tilts the and mic. The crowd, and the crowd erupts. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. they erupt. They don't even know. There's a great bit in The Day the Laughter Died where he just, he says the phrase, I'll call you back in an hour. And then he turns that into our back. And then from, and he just keeps going back and forth. And he goes, our back, get it? Boom. And he's just doing this. And now, and at one point, like three minutes into this bit, the whole room's laughing. And he looks at me and he goes, you see that? This is comedy. He goes, you're laughing and you don't even know what. Like there's something that got triggered. (laughs) I, I love that shit, man. Like that, that is, that is. Yeah, that is where a human can truly connect with a human on some deeper level, and you're just in a room together in the present moment, and and you're just vibing. That is that is truly special. 
if you think about it, and when that album came out, it was a day and age where every comedian that put out an album doubled and tripled yep. up the laughter. Yeah. Audio wise, they sweetened everything to make yeah. them sound like a killer. One of my favorite lines in "The Day the Laughter Died" is, "It's just dead silence," and you, and Dice just goes, "Great." You could hear the air conditioner. He goes, this whole album's ruined. <laughs> it's like 40 minutes into bombing, and I love that he picks the air conditioner as the reason why this album's ruined. And and it's, you know, people walking out like 50 minutes in. She goes, you're disgusting. He goes, took you 50 right. minutes to figure it out. You know, it's like just just comedy on its in its rawest purest Dude, did you see him form. did you did you watch uh, entourage in his in his uh season right sure i thought i think doug allen's one of the one of the genius writer producer direct all the things that he did for that show right and so dice you hate dice throughout that whole thing when he's mm-hmm. when he's holding up the johnny bananas contract and he and he's and then, but then when you go to the apartment and his son's freaking playing music and they're like, guys, can you shut the fuck up? Can you shut him up for a second? Like, we got to do this. And Johnny is so insecure and Dice is like, and then they get the phone call and he goes, I fucking told you. We hold out. And they're like, and then dude, my, inside of me, I was like, I was like weeping. I was like emotional. I'm like, his fu- he fucking stuck to his guns. And the whole time you think he's being a prick. He's being cheap and egotistical and envious and greedy. Meanwhile, that was real dice. Just knowing himself yeah. and knowing what was right. And Johnny was being insecure and mindset of scarcity. Like, that was really dice. They really painted what dice would do in that situation. They did a great job. You know, it's it's something that I learned uh, thanks to my wife, which is, you know, the, the universe yeah. is a boomerang. Yeah. And whatever we throw out is going to come back. And if you're sitting there worried about everything, then everything's going to become a reality. Like, like it's just a fact, you know, I love my parents, but they're, they're the tag team champions of bad news and negativity. (laughs) They cannot wait to get into the ring and unload bad news on you. They just, that they, they live for my wife, you know, uh, showed me a different path. And started working with me on on thinking positively and being positive. Now I can tell you, man, it's a hundred percent fact that my life changed ever since I made that shift. You know, um, and that's a big thing. The reason why I bring it up is because you have to be a hundred and ten percent committed. Like I have a saying, much like my dad, I have a saying with my kids. When I whenever I hear them say hope. I hope this happens. I hope I get that present. And I look at them and I tell them all the time, hope is for suckers. Belief is everything. Fuck hope. Hope hope is a wish. Stop wishing. Belief. See it, believe it, achieve it. Done. When I used to listen to Howard, in my mind, I saw myself working with these people. I believed it. I believed one day I was going to get a shot. There was no doubt in my mind. You know how many comics and people I had telling me, why are you staying up at 3, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, calling into a radio show? They'd go, do they pay you? And I'd go, no. Well, why would you do it? And it's like, I can't explain drive to you. You I can't explain hustle 
yeah, like this is something I believe can happen, but it's not going to land in your lap. That's the thing. You know, when you tell people about just thinking positively and approaching life differently, like they go, oh, so I just think good things and good things happen. Like it just lands from the sky. No, you got to do the work. You got to be a good person. But I guarantee you, I know for a fact, when I worried about money, we were always broke. When I, when I worried about getting someplace on time, I was always fucking late. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a wor- the worries will become a reality. So why not, instead of worrying, fill those, those moments with positive thoughts, with believing that you're crossing that finish line, that, that the universe is going to reward you with what you deserve, not what you want. Not what you wish for, not what you hope you get. This is yeah. what I deserve. This is I'm ready for my refund from the universe. I've made a lot of people happy. I've put a lot of smiles on people's faces. Yeah. Send that yeah. fucker back here. That, Let's go. That, that's such a great thing to lead. Like this audience, they're into personal development. They're into growth. They're into understanding, expanding themselves, evolving themselves. That's a great point. Which is like you're not you're not, whatever you're putting out there is what you're going to get. My wife said to me the other yeah. day. Yeah. Hope, hope will keep, hope yeah. will keep you poor. Belief will get you out of that spot. Hope will keep you afraid to leave the house. Belief break, break will get you down, out of that house. Here, here's what we're going to have to do. I Can you, yeah. can I get you on again? Cause we're, there's a lot more shit we got to talk about. And this, this, like you gave a lot of gold just sure. for the stuff you already talked about. And I, I don't want to run you more than an hour. So let me let me yeah no problem let me you ask you yeah, absolutely let me, let's we'll wrap this one up then we'll we'll organize because I really would like to get into the Howard stuff not not again like I told you not because I'm a fa- super yeah. fan it's because you're a you're a guy that has a different attitude and I think a lot of the people do on there and I'd like to understand how you dealt how you did your shit like how you stayed so audience that that we're gonna do that on the next one for all you Howard fans I'm sorry to disappoint you I'm not gonna talk about Howard this time. Good news. But good news. I didn't sign any N- NDA, right, so I can right. talk about so, anything and everything. So stay tuned for the next like, episode. I, how, when, somebody, when somebody starts to have a vision for what they think is possible, like you're explaining yeah. it in a very clear way. Like you've got to have a belief in yourself. But there is a massive amount. We talked about this a little earlier. There's a massive amount of self-doubt, of fear, of trauma, of bullshit that comes up from mom and dad. The shit that your teachers and school and society put on you that like just as a fucking culture put on you. How do you navigate? How did you navigate through those things? Everybody's got their process. But like there's a how do you stay on the phone and like just just confidently know that's like this is I feel like this can happen. You're not actually looking for an outcome. You didn't pick up that phone to get on the Howard Stern show, like to be a regular, uh, not just a caller. Right. You picked up the phone because you knew it could take you somewhere, right? So like a big difference between setting an outcome and like having this belief that something's possible. There's a big difference there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's so many people that you're going to meet in life that are, they don't know you, maybe they do, sure. but they're going to doubt you. They, they don't believe in what you're saying and what you're doing. Look, I, I lived a flaky, 
life growing up. I was a flake. I, I didn't find anything yeah. that I loved, so I wasn't passionate about anything, right? When I, when I finally did stand up, when I got over the hump of being afraid to try it, and I tried it, and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Now it was the issue of like, well, how do you get other people to believe in you, right? Like my parents are old school. We live in Vegas. Why aren't yeah. you working in a casino? Why aren't you dealing? Why aren't you doing this? And I go, oh, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. And they go, okay, great. So this guy who's been a flake <laughs> right. his entire life is now going into yeah. one of the flakiest fucking industries yeah. of all time. And they're like, we're, we're going to have this kid with us <laughs> the rest of our man. life. Like he's never going to leave the how house. How did you... But at the Sorry, same well, time, I, how did yeah, you deal with the energy in some of those clubs? Like, I've heard you talk about it, like 3 a.m. at the Chuckle Hut, and you're like, "What the fuck is my?" You're eating a cheesesteak, and and like, I I can't get high enough to take myself out of this reality right now. I remember you saying that. So I don't know. I don't remember when it was. I've tried. Yeah, and I've tried. How do you maintain? Because uh, it's not just your own ego and mind that's playing on you. It's the energy of the room, these, these like lousy loser people that are around you. How do you stay above that and not get dragged down? How did you? It's, it's pers- well, it's perspective, number one. And I, I, sure. I, it didn't always work that way. I got dragged down a few times, you know. Uh, uh, but it's perspective. You know, I always tell people, you know, if you think your job sucks, go do plumbing for a year. Because I did. And I hated my life every single day. I, I knew after having that job that I was never going to have that job ever again, that I was going to do everything in my power to make sure I never have to do plumbing again. It was, it was one of the most physically demanding, brutal You think people need I'd that kind of rite of passage or something uh, that shows them the reality of what could be to really appreciate the other? You, you need... You need to have, I think you need to have something to be like, yeah, this was yeah. bad, but it wasn't yeah. as bad as this shit, you know, it was, you know, uh, and, and I think perspective is a huge part of it. You know, life experiences, right? That's something you can, you can refer back to and be like, well, it wasn't as bad as this. And, and also it's just, it's literally a mindset you have to look like I said I grew up with two of the most negative parents every my relationship with money was shit because of these two because all they cared about was money and when I would get it I'd be like fuck money I'd be like let's blow it on every I'll show them right and it's like so I my my thing was like I lived that way for x amount of years I know what I got out of it let me try this. Try it. Sure. Try it for a month. Try it for a month. Start writing a journal. Keep a journal. Start writing a journal. Thank the universe every every day you wake up and every night before you go to bed for the things that you deserve, not what you want. It's not a wish list. You say thank you for for family, for health, for love, for this, for that, for wealth, for... I mean, I'm telling you, I've tr- I've done the religious thing. I'm not knocking anybody for it. It never moved the needle for me. I can tell you results. I've seen 100% results from living yeah. life this way. And, and you think about, we only use right. 10% of this shit right. in our head, right? Like, I believe manifestation is 100% legit. I believe people can manifest their destiny as long as you do the work, that's all there is to it. It's not a genie lamp. 
It's not, it's not something. There's a great book by a woman named Mel Robbins. It's called The Five-Second Rule. And I used to implement this every day and every night. And just recently I got back into it because I forgot about it. But every night before I go to bed, I would, I would basically set up the next day. I'd be like, tomorrow I'm going to wake up a killer. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be as sharp, as funny as ever. I'm going to get in that studio tomorrow. I'm going to make everyone laugh. And I'm going to show them why I am who I am. And then you count down. Five, four, three, two, one. And that's it. That's it. Simple. And I go to bed. And I wake up in the morning. And every morning on that elevator ride up to the 36th floor, I would do the countdown again. And it never failed me. It never failed. It's when things really turned for me in a positive direction. The impressions started coming out. These are all impressions I did for years. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody, nobody heard them. And I was never in there with them because of me. Because I'd be sitting there when High Pitch was on the phone and I'd go, why the fuck are, am I not in there? I do a great High Pitch. Why are they not calling me for tan, Mom? Because my ego. I was my own worst enemy. I kept myself out of that studio more times than anyone else. And the minute... I, I wiped my hands up and I said, I don't give a shit if I get in there anymore. That's it. I'm done stressing about it. I'm done worrying about it. Week and a half later, I, I was in there doing I wondered about that, dude, because I was the like, blue. I wonder how the logistics work. Did Howard come to you or Gary come to you and go, hey, Shuli, listen, we've seen you around the office. Uh, you know, we've heard the impressions. We're going to start some new segments and we'd like you to be a part of them. Like, I've always wondered that. That's, that's really cool to have it, like that illumination of how that actually happened. It was you holding you back. It's literally, it's, yeah, yeah, 100%. I, re- I remember that that 100%. fight or whatever you know? it was. It's a man. It's a Howard manufacturer's fight. I'm sure about you going to Gary and asking for permission, and you and Gary, and then he brought you into the ring and Gary into the ring, and then played. Well, that that was okay. the moment. That was the moment for me because because I was trying so hard right. to get into that studio to showcase what did you need? What I can do? Did you need Howard? To, and, like he and, said to you, surely you're funny. What the fuck do you think? I you wouldn't have you here if you weren't funny. Remember he's I, I think it was him or Gary, like No, I I absolutely but but you you have to understand, like you know, I grew sure. up listening to the show. I was a fan of the show. To have the opportunity to be in there and do a voice yeah. and to make him laugh was like that that was that was, you know, climbing Mount yeah. Everest for me. And it was a position that I was used to because I, I played to four and <laughs> yeah. five people a night right. for years in Vegas. So I wasn't intimidated by the size, you know, by the lack of audience in the room. It was perfectly in my wheelhouse. The thing is, you know, it usually takes one person in there when they're talking about something to go, oh, you know, Shuli does a great right. tan mom impression or whatever. And then, and then it shows up on, but because I would, so I would come to Gary whenever he'd be talking about something that I had something attached to it or related to it or could could give him info i would go right to gary and and i would give gary this info in the hopes that gary be like oh that's really good go in there with it but gary didn't want anything to do with me at that time our relationship was not as good as it got why was that was it because you were in your way i think that i think i think they smell it on you right when you want it that bad 
they like, go, yeah. don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. He's, he's you know, it's going to be shtick. It's going to be bullshit. He's going right. to come in there trying too hard. At the end of the day, it's the first reality show. Totally. So they just want you to be real, right? So I remember that fight starting on the air. And, and I remember thinking in my head, yo, Howard's not going to take his side. Like, Howard's yeah. going to take my side. And, and Gary's argument was he comes in here 100 times a day with shit. And, and I can't listen to all of it. And my point was, it's you're the producer. Job, yeah. That's your yeah. job, is to listen to all of it. And Howard was like, hey, man, I'd rather him come to you with 100 shitty ideas and one good one than for him to be not wanting to bother exactly. you and not come to you with anything. So Howard took my side. But at the same time, I'm in there fighting, and Gary's, you know, Gary's calling me names. And I'm like, and that's, and that's when the switch flipped in my head. As soon as I walked out of that studio, I literally in my head could hear my voice say, I don't give a fuck if I'm ever getting in this studio again. I'm done. I'm done. I don't want to fucking deal with this asshole anymore. He's giving me shit for trying yeah. to help the show, to try and contribute. Right. Like, fuck him, man. Yeah. All ego. All ego. Butt hurt, right? I walk out. And a week later, literally, they're like. It was a tan mom. I think yeah, it was I a tan mom thing. And they're like, I'll just. And they go, Shuey yeah. does a dead on Tan Mom. And I went in there and I start doing Tan Mom. And then I, I jump into <laughs> Elephant the Boy and, and, and High Pitch. And then the next week I'm in yeah. there again and again. And now there's puppets being That's made. Right. And everything that I, that I listened to that I wanted to, I would listen to Billy West yeah. work the Jackie puppet. And, and I'd sit there and I'd go, fuck, man, if I could do that, like that would be yeah. a dream come true. And there I was. Puppet on my arm, sitting yep. there doing voices, cracking up the greatest broadcaster like court, of all time. Kind of like, like a court jester, but amazing. not. You know what I mean? Like you're like you're making the king laugh. You yeah, are. We're all we're laugh. all court jesters. We're all court jesters there. Whether whether you, whether he's laughing at your material right. or at you, the goal was if you could get him to laugh, then you can bet people yeah. listening are laughing. It's it, contagious it at the end of the day, dude. Right? I remember. So, I fucking, so yes. It makes me laugh still. I remember you had Howard rolling, and when Howard's rolling, it's infectious through that radio. You're right. When Howard's genuine laugh, not his ha-ha laugh, that's fake. Now, the one where his head's right, up. Real like, laugh. Ah! That, and he's just laughing yeah, to the heaven. You're feeling it through the radio, and you were doing Tan Mom and said something, and you did like her downswing, like, Ugh. And Howard's fucking, I thought, oh, her, I thought her his belly was going to explode. I'm exploding. The two friends I had in the car, we're doubled over, almost crashed my car. And the two of you start riffing about, like, somebody just took the, you said, like, it's like someone just took the batteries out of her. And it was the funniest shit I had ever heard you say up until that yeah. point. Because that was, like, your new thing. It was, like, <laughs> well, to me, Tan Mom, like, he's fucking spot on. Well, I mean, what's wild is... It and, and what's wild in the office, everybody that worked around me in the office knew I did these impressions. Right. I would do them all the time at home. My family was, <laughs> was being tortured by me talking right. to them as Jeff the Drunk and as Tan Mom and singing in the shower uh, as all the whack packers. So you know, I, and that, and, and that was, this is a perfect example of like I literally did it the night before. And then that next morning I'm at work and something came up where Howard's like, yeah, Shuli came. Come in here one second. I want to. I want to hear you do this such and such impression. And as I'm walking in, in my head, I'm going, I should do. I should tell him about the song I sang in the shower 
uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. You know, he loves he loves CSNY. And I and I was doing you know helplessly hoping five minutes later as right. as many whack right. packers as I could do, and he loved it. And it it's not something yeah. I worked out with the producers. It's not something that I rehearsed. I didn't have backing <laughs> vocals or anything like this. Was just again goes back to Carson. Goes back to you know Carol Burnett shit on the fly yeah. in the moment, organic, spontaneous comedy to to be able to come up with a line on the spot with a, with my arm <laughs> up a puppet's ass and make this guy laugh who's heard it all from the best. Like, that was it. You, you couldn't take Dude, shit you know away from interesting. me after that. Zig Ziglar said spontaneity is a conditioned reflex, and that's exactly what you're talking about. You were able to go in that room in that instant because you have been so fucking practiced. You played to that five-person room. Yeah, and I would rather... I would rather sure. fail on my own merits, sure. on my own material, than succeed off of somebody else's because at the end of the day, it's – look, I appreciate them writing, and they would write great stuff. The the writers and stuff, when you're in there with puppets, there's little screens and shit. But at the same time, the stuff that always got you. him dying was the stuff that came off the top of my head in that moment. And I liked – I love that moment. You know, uh, that's what I live for. Yeah, that's dude, what that, comedy that will lives, always that will opinion. always go down in in uh, in my in my Howard Stern. I don't know what you call it. My like my top memories. One one of the darkest is in sure. 2006. The the uh, the people that came in from FuckingMachines.com. Do you remember that? <laughs> Holy fuck! I was in the I was sure, driving a truck for my dad, and I was like, I think I should turn this off. This is, and I had like nightmares about it for weeks. I think I should turn this off. You, poor right, Gary, right. still has nightmares so, about it. He what were, what, eyes, right, that's so. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the funniest things ever because Gary, Gary went from creepy uh, producer of a show uh, to dad mode where he was like, why wouldn't you tell me you do that? He's holding his eyes. He's going, how could right. you not tell me you squirmed? <laughs> like he's, he's, he's scolding her in his dad mode. I thought yeah, it was dude, the funniest Listen, at thing. the end of the day, for the audience to wrap this thing up, what you're talking about is you let go of an outcome. It wasn't your ego like saying, fuck it. You literally were in your ego at that point saying, fuck it. However, what was real behind the scenes inside of you was, I'm not going to stress this anymore. I'm not going to make this an outcome that I need to seek. If it happens, it happens, and I'm at peace with it. And if it doesn't, I'm at peace with that too. Yeah, I did it. I got there. I turned a one-week audition yeah. into 15 years. Like it's it's all house money at this point, right? And and I should have been back home uh, a, a week after I was there. You know, I've told people: imagine never swinging a bat. And then the New York oh, Yankees yeah. draft, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like, like it's that's amazing. insane. That's what happened. I had zero radio experience. And then the Stern show is like, oh, but you know a ton right. of shit about this. So come work with us. And, and then it was just a matter of, well, how do I stay? How do I not go back home? And so that, that fire that's lit under your ass yeah. when you don't have anything. You know, that, that can't be duplicated. That can't be substituted by anything else. You literally have to go through it um, to... That's how I got there. I had nothing. I was living with my parents. You know? It, it's it's That fire is what kept me calling in every morning with games and questions and impressions and whatever I could think of to get on the air. Maybe I would get a shot, you know? The shot that I believed So I freaking awesome, man. Well, look... 
we're going to do this again. If you're cool with that, I want to pick right. I want to pick up right yeah. there because that's a that's a perfect place to segue into. Let's do the Howard stuff. And then really what I reached out to you about was was the choices you made to leave the show and like and really honor yourself and your family. And 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 you can tell your wife again, I, I, I appreciate that. I don't even know the story. That's why you're here. I don't even know the story yet. And I know I already appreciate it from you and the choice you made. Yeah. Yeah, she she definitely changed my life, man, and uh, and and more than happy to come back on, and uh, we will do it again. And uh, thank you yeah, for doing thank this you for and, having and, uh, and thanks for thanks for letting me bug the shit out of you for a year and, and not going. Hey, fuck off, man. Oh, it's all good, <laughs> it's man. All good. I apologize. I apologize for the delays. Sure, it's been man. a wild sure year. There's uh, I'm close to I'm in L.A. and I'm close to Vegas, and and I uh, I keep telling my wife like we've got to go up there and see Shirley next time he plays Vegas. So once you're where can people find you? What's the next? Where are your next dates? Uh, so in March, I have a weekend in Rochester, New York, at Comedy yep. at the Carlson. Um, that's March 10th through the 12th. For tickets, you can go to my website, shalomshuli.com, S-H-A-L-O-M-S-H-U-L-I.com. Uh, you can check out my podcast, The Shuli Show. It's available on all platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Uh, and I have a Patreon page if you want to support uh, the Shuli Show at Patreon or Patreon slash The Shuli Show. And uh, I do another uh, podcast with some comedian friends of mine uh, called The Miserable Men Show. It's uh, like The View if it was hosted by <laughs> Neanderthal cavemen who think race and sex jokes are still funny. So it's a trip down old school memory lane. Um, that's only on Patreon <laughs> for now. Um, and then uh, and then I have a new podcast coming out, which I think you'll really love. Um, February 7th, uh, uh, my comedy brother, who I started with, James Mattern, uh, in Vegas. He's now um, one of the best comics in New York, hosts pretty much every comedy club out there. Just one album of the nice. year uh, for an album he put out called The Check Spot, which is just him doing sets during the check drops at nice. comedy clubs which is the shittiest spot in comedy is the check spot because people are paying their checks and doing math while you're trying to tell jokes um and so him and i started a podcast it's coming out february 7th called thanks for coming out a podcast about bombing and it's me him and another comic friend of ours that that we rotate guests and all we do is trade bombing war stories. It just the worst that, bombing stories you ever heard. This is all we do as comics. We hang out in the green room and we exchange war stories. So now we're doing a show about it. First episode comes out February 7th with Mark Norman, hilarious comic, uh, one of the best writers out there, and, and has bombed so much uh, on on TV programs for morning news on, on everything. Like he, he's amazing. We have about 10 nice. episodes recorded. So we're very excited about that. And it's called thanks for coming out a podcast about that was our code phrase, by the way, when we would, when we would play in Vegas and, and I would host and I would bomb for 10 minutes and then I would bring James out. And as I'm shaking his hand on stage, I would go, thanks for coming out. And that was the way he you're knew you're idiot. about to eat a shit sandwich <laughs> for the next 10 minutes. There's nothing you can do about it. So that's why we that's named it Thanks cool, for man. Coming I'm excited out, to hear about that. Dude, about this, has been, uh, this has been a real pleasure. It's, 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 it's weird 
when you, like I said to you, when I first saw you on my screen, I was like, it's weird to hear somebody and like meet somebody after so long that you've known them, but they've had no clue about you. It's, that's a strange dynamic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's weird to adjust to that as, as like, that's the one thing I learned when I started working there and really appreciated from Howard is how hard it is yeah. to be honest yeah. on the air with the amount of, it's not hard when nobody's listening, right? Cause nobody's fucking listening. But when, when, when millions, millions of people, you know, people will come up to me on the street, they go, how's your mom doing? Right, I go, right. Who the fuck is this guy? Asking about my mom. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they right. played a voicemail on my mom. Or, or well, how's the baby clothes? Like, people they, yeah. are in your life. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's the thing. You want to be on the air? They're going to get all up in your shit. And, and that's just something. Love you that, man. Be Dude, thank for. you. Really, really a lot of gratitude to you for doing this. I'm going to reach out to you to do Likewise. this, to do a follow up. I, I really think there's still so much gold yeah. that we can uncover and give to this audience. And anything we can do to support you, man, we, we're, we're happy to. So, Thanks for being here, Shirley. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, Ian. Thanks for having Absolutely. me, buddy. We'll do it again. All right, audience. Thanks for listening. Right, we appreciate you. Later. Okay. Dude, we, I, I, fuck, man. If I wasn't watching that time, we could go. We could have riffed freaking three hours. So, dude, that was, uh, that, that, was, that was what I expected and not what I expected at the same time, which is great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good, it's what I, like I expected that. in terms of um, your stories and stuff and not what I expected in terms of the level and depth because Howard doesn't feature that stuff. And so we don't know how somebody is running their own life, their ego, their bullshit, their fears, uh, what they're using as far as tools to get themselves through obstacles and on the other side. I like learning about that. I, li I, like yeah. I liked all your tactics here. I think that the audience can really, really benefit from that. Yeah, it's simplified, you know. Right. I'm not a guru. I'm not sitting here, you know, uh, lecturing people on how they need to live. I'm just saying, look, this shit worked for me. And, and, and you know, I swam through the darkest sea of negativity every day <laughs> for half of my life. So if I can sit here, sit here and tell you, hey, man, you know, you can make shit happen. Uh, it's not a dream. It's uh, something that you literally can, can Jedi into oh, happening, man. And... And people, it's such a, it's such an easy concept that that I think is why people can't wrap yeah. their minds around it. That's like, be a good person, think positively and, and expect what you deserve and, it, and it'll start happening. And people are like, yeah, yeah thanks okay. for that. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. I did. I, I am in, I am yeah. a personal yeah, yeah. development coach. That's what I do for a business and living. And we have this podcast and we've got events and we've got all, and they do that. I am a full believer 10 years ago, I was fucking teaching swimming lessons for 10 bucks an hour, sitting in the pool, crying in my glass, in my goggles, thinking, what the fuck is my life come to? Like, what am I supposed to do here? What am I going to do? And then my wife said, I think you should become a real estate agent. And I did that. And she's like, yeah. you hate real estate. Yeah. And I'm like, I know it's just got a lot. It's got such good money. And she's like, why don't you pursue coaching? Like you love coaching. And I'm like, yeah, let me do that. And I started in 2014 and I just ran this like secret business until 2020 the pandemic hit just like you and she was like fuck real estate gas pedal down on coaching let's roll and i started this podcast and it fucking took off but i had to follow my yeah. heart it was scary that's I great to follow my heart you know well that's why so many people don't yeah. do it because they're scared i'd right? rather be and scared it's like and once you realize that the fear isn't even real it's all yeah. attached to yeah. the ego right 
where it's like, what if I fail? You better fucking fail at this because you're not right. going to succeed right. if you don't. You know how many you know how many comics are fucking amazing the first time ever up on stage? Right. You can name them all. Yeah. That's how few there are. You know, but like even Chappelle, as brilliant as he is, would go out to the fucking park in the street and play to people in the park. He that's where he yeah. honed his craft. That's where he sucked at first. Right. And it's like so, you know, it's just you, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to You got to drop that ego and say, fuck, it. if I fail, I fail. You know how many people Stern fans are waiting for oh, me yeah. to fucking fail. And it's like. If I give them any energy, you know, because that give and take, yeah. you're bringing that yeah. back. Whatever you're putting out is coming back, right, from from whoever else you're exchanging. Got negative people out. I you got to do agree. that shit, man. So it's like before I would have fun with these people and I'd argue with them and I'd retweet their negative shit. And now it's like, well, fuck, yeah, you're exactly. not in my life. You're done. Yeah. You get one shot. Make it count. Because if I don't give it life, nobody's even going to yeah, fucking agreed. know you were here. And that. That that is you know, dude. This that's is, awesome. So this is uh, time, this man. is great, man. This is gonna be uh, it's gonna be out in a couple weeks. I'll I'll shoot you a text, and my my people will. What's your email, by the way? My people. Oh no, I have it. My people will email you. Yeah, it's surely one hundred news at and gmail. Then, uh, and just send me whatever you want promoted, and I'll uh, I'll share it wherever yeah, I can. Will do, uh, dude. I want to be respectful of your time. Fuck, it's ten thirty. Uh, thanks thanks so much for giving us this hour and a half man this has been awesome really appreciate meeting you and i look forward to talking to you again and digging in a little deeper 